0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Rocket MSP podcast. I'm excited today. I'm going to be joined by Bruce McCauley from Galactic Advisors. So let's bring him on. Hey there, Bruce. How you doing, sir?
1: Hey, Steve. Good to see you, sir. How you doing?
0: I'm well, I call you taking notes. Sorry.
1: <laughs> I take a lot of notes. Cause you know, if I write it down, I have a chance of not sounding as stupid. So that's kind of one of the things that I'll be doing throughout the session today.
0: Is, is that what I need to be doing? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Bruce, I've had you on in the past and we, we talked a little bit about galactic advisors and what it is that you guys do over there. And now I also know a few people that have worked with you. So that's pretty exciting. Are they saying good things? They're saying excellent things. All right. Excellent things. And I'm not even
1: paying Steve for this, guys, just so you know. He's
0: he's not. I asked him to be here because I know Bruce is, I'm not going to say he's the best of security because I don't know if anyone's the best, right? But he knows what he's doing, okay? So I'm at least going to give him that much and say, if you're struggling with security as an MSP, reach out to Bruce. Okay. So let's just kind of dive in, man, because I want this to be short and sweet, packed with good info. So Kaseya happened, SolarWinds happened. Um,
1: Kaseya, what? No, I'm just kidding. Right. Really? <laughs> it's too soon for any jokes about it. I don't think it's too soon. I mean, I think it's okay now to make jokes about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, we've, we're the vector, right? you know, we are now the target. So what, gosh, man, like what can we be doing to like harden our security as an MSP? So that way these, you know, bad actors can't do anything that completely screws us. Like short of us turning our server off, you know, at the beginning of the month when all this happened and we didn't even know to turn the server off for the people that were on-prem, was there something that those people could have been doing from a security standpoint that could have protected them?
1: Yeah. So let's peel this back a little bit. So first off with Kaseya, this was a big event, right? This was something that made national news. It was the largest event of our lifetime. Says that anyway, it's our lifetime. But when it comes to uh, ransomware, and when we look back at it, though, there are a lot of other events that are happening right now, guys. And it's not just this huge event when it comes to breaking into an MSP. I was I was actually on a, on a phone call with an MSP this morning. I speaking with them about five a.m. Central Time. They're dealing with a breach inside of their own environment. I started last week. Somebody had reported that they noticed that somebody was accessing their computer through a remote control product, and then uh, they thought, "Well, you know, some you know some weird thing. Maybe this user's not really paying attention, or something like this." And then the MSP was looking at their logs and noticed that somebody was logging in um, as one of their employees from an amazon ip address into their rmm so they started digging a little bit further and there's a lot of different components here that kind of added up but what are the things that you can do to avoid this sort of thing i'm gonna hit that in a second but the first thing i want to make sure is i want to make sure that everybody understands that this stuff is happening day in and day out okay this is not a one-time event that you know we're all dealing with from the caseya standpoint I mean, that was a big event. We can talk about how to keep that sort of thing from happening on your watch. But <clears throat> using your tools like your RMM and things that have access to devices to be the attack vector, that is happening day in and day out right now. And uh, a major component of that is authentication, right? If you don't have, and I, I can't even believe I have to say this, but I have to say it because I know a lot of you guys are, are sitting there going... You know, I told my clients to turn on MFA in their Microsoft 365, and they never did or they didn't want to. But if you don't have MFA turned on for your RMM or your antivirus or your backups or the different types of portals that you use to remotely access and manage your clients, you're being negligent. And I, I don't know how to say it in any other way, like, go check this out for yourself. If you take nothing else from our call today of things that you can do, stop right now, go up and check to make sure you have multi-factor turned on for yourself and all of your employees. And I would, I'd put that on a monthly checklist. I would be checking to make sure that nobody turned off multi-factor authentication, you know, and the the people turn off this stuff for the weirdest reasons, right? So when I was running my MSP, I remember, I remember, one of our engineers forgot his cell phone at home. So our service manager turned off his MFA so he could get into the uh, RMM. And I found out about it about a week later when we were asking like, why this guy didn't have MFA enabled. And this is the type of stuff that, you know, you can prevent. And of course, we're going to dig into the other pieces, but just start with making sure you have MFA enabled. And then the other piece to authentication that people don't talk about so much, but I want you to think about it is the API keys. And it's making sure that you not only have MFA enabled on your accounts, but those API keys, the things that don't require multi-factor authentication, make sure you're going through and rotating those once in a while. And yeah, I did just say that you can rotate your API keys and this way you don't have to worry about. If there was a breach at one of your providers that has an API key or something like this that is out there in the world, and so you could rotate those on a ninety day, sixty day, or even a thirty day basis, but we want to make sure that we're getting API keys rotated. So that's where I would start out, Steve.
0: And I just want to clarify you you say rotate your API keys. I know that when I look at my APIs, it says regenerate key. That's what you mean, right? Just regenerate yeah. a, a brand new key. Because there is a chance that API key could get hacked.
1: Yep. And, and it can get hacked. Like there's a number of different ways in which that API t- key has an attack surface, right? So the first one is your one of your vendors gets breached that is running their product. So let's say, you know, you have some sort of reporting product that is now going and talking to your RMM. That is vendor could get breached and if that happens now your api key is out of the loose and if that api key has enough rights to do something like write to a table well that's going to be a big deal but also just getting that data is a big deal so that that would be one so just read access to something like your rmm could be a really big deal for you to deal with and the flip side is a lot of api keys are embedded in scripts and stored in registries and stored in applications even so if you're not regenerating those keys, if you have like an old script that's sitting around somewhere or something like this, you do run a risk of somebody picking it up off of a machine that you ran it on. And by the way, please don't put API keys in scripts, but this is also a control to help make sure that's not out there.
0: Well, I'll be honest. I, um, I never thought about the API keys. I mean, I've put thought into them in the sense of, why doesn't why, this
1: work? That kind of thought.
0: No, what I always try to consider is why does this need every single checkbox? <laughs> why can't I just give it this check and that check? Why do they insist they need all of these other rights to the product?
1: Do you want the so, answer or okay with the just... I think the answer is, is laziness, right? So it's laziness well, on the developer side. Because I know when we're prototyping stuff, like when we're like, we have a development team and when they're writing code, they always ask for full rights to everything. And we actually say, no, why don't you start with just the rights to the very single thing that you're trying to access? It's just a different way of doing your writing of your code base. So, yeah, I think it's, I think that's just a kind of the same situation that we all run into when it comes to these different, different programming assignments and products is, is laziness just start with everything and then hack it back rather than starting with just what you need
0: i i like that so okay we've we talked about apis and mfa that'll never get old right what other things should we be doing to keep ourselves just, i don't know i don't, i feel like keeping ourselves honest isn't the right way to, to approach this But we do need to be accountable for what's happening on our software and our machines and and everything else for obvious reasons. Well, how about that?
1: I mean, I guess what I would say is let's start with the RMM itself. So what can you do on the RMM side to make sure that you're not going to end up having an event? on your watch right like that would I, I think that's something that's on everybody's mind especially with the Kaseya event and the amount of risk that we all have in some of these different tools so the first thing that i would say is spend some time identifying what those two tool, tools are steve so what in your environment and i mean you can even think about it in your own environment steve what what in your environment has the sort of access that an rmm has like what can run scripts the way A good way to think about this is, what is software in my environment that is capable of updating itself? Those are the things that you start to have when there's an update with no user interaction. That's when you start to have this higher level of power. And the things that, you know, kind of the easy things that kind of pop up into my mind are things like antivirus, right? I mentioned that earlier. XDM, EDR. These All these tools have a lot of rights. Backup software, (laughs) think about it this way. If you're able to add a pre-exec script to your backup software, that means I can do basically whatever I want because I have a lot of rights as a backup user. And most backup software that we see out there is just running with system account rights. So it's beyond even just a backup user rights in the environment. So just think about all the access that, backup software as a whole has and um gosh if you're watching this podcast and you're like on vacation stop right now because i'm we're gonna get <laughs> there's gonna be a lot of stuff that we're gonna cover and you probably don't want to be thinking about it while you're on vacation so the other thing so we have the the backup software and then what about things like threat locker i mean love the guys at threat Locker and they have great product but you know that has a lot of rights to the environment. You have sassies, like any of these endpoint solutions. Those have a ton of rights in the environment. These are all areas that could be used as an attack vector that have enough privilege to be able to run scripts and maybe even are designed to drop scripts in place. So these are some things that you're going to want to consider looking at when you're creating your list of the things that you need to secure. Does that make sense?
0: It does. And, you know, I've always known that these tools could, you know, do a lot, you know, obviously, because they're what helps us do a lot, but I've never really thought of it in the sense that any of these tools could be hacked, not just the RMM or, or the PSA who, you know, it's not, they're not going to get a lot from the PSA other than the PI. Yeah,
1: control tools too, right? So that, yeah, yep. And your PSA might have a lot more information in it than you expect.
0: Well, um, yeah, I mean, it's going to have like the passwords and the PII, and it could have payment information. I mean, so I understand that. I guess when, what I was when I say the PSA didn't matter, it was more of that they weren't going to remotely drop things into computers through the PSA. But yes, the PSA is equally important. And and I just want to say, you know, earlier you mentioned. MFA. And I think that every MSP should put a new role in place right now. We don't use a tool if it doesn't have Mf- MFA. I'm
1: with you. And I would go as far as to say, if, if I'm running MS, uh, MSP and I see somebody disable MFA on their own account or disable MFA for somebody in, on, in mm. the environment that's a pretty big offense. Like I might, you know, they might be up for like a public pants down spanking, like right in front of everybody. I don't know, whatever it is, you come up with your own uh, sort of punishment, but I I think it's definitely going to be something big.
0: Mm -hmm. All right. So MFA API keys. And then I think that the bullet point I'm hearing on that one was Consider the less is more approach when it comes to how many tools you really want to use to accomplish being an MSP. Is that okay, what I'm hearing? So
1: I don't know that I want to say that. I definitely don't want to sit here, Steve, and say, you know what, strip your strip your um your stack down so it's just like one simple thing in every single layer. So if you think of if you think of security as a number of layers, right? You have your human layer and your perimeter layer and your endpoint application network, like all of these different layers lined up. I'm not saying strip that down and make it very simple because what you run the risk of is, let's say that let's say that an attacker got into your Kaseya, for instance, and you didn't have multiple layers in place to shut that attacker down, then we have a problem on our hands. So I want you to think about when you're building these layers out, I want you to think, okay, So I put together that list of different things that have enough rights to really screw up my day, right? So that was a step that we just had to do. So you have this list now of your PSA, your RMM, your antivirus, your backups, all of these things. And I want you to take a minute and just look at each one and say, okay, so if my backups were compromised, what tools would I have to shut the attacker down and get them out of the environment? So I have my perimeter layer. I can lock down the outside of the... Endpoint or maybe of the firewall, and and be able to shut down the traffic going in and out. So that's one thing I could do. Um, I could use my RMM to blacklist the particular executable that is running for my backup product. And I could get them out that way. So you have these different ways that you can kind of shut down each of these different layers. I, I want you to document that next to it. So if hacked, what do I do? And then just kind of create a list of what you're going to do for each of those different things and make sure that you have enough layers in your environment to be able to respond if you have an event like this. And I'm not saying that you're going to want to depend on others. So what I'm also just want to make sure that I'm really clear with you on is that event that I was talking about this morning, that MSP had reached out to a number of his security providers and no one had gotten back with him. So he was on his own. So you may be working at this at like one in the morning, you may be completely on your own. And so I want to make sure you have a list or something that you've thought through when your mind is nice and idle, like today versus at 1am on Friday morning after you might've gone to the bar and had a drink. Just kidding. I know you wouldn't do that, but you understand what I'm saying, Steve.
0: I absolutely do. And uh, wow. Okay. So, so you're not saying. Strip out the applications, but what you might be saying is be be more considerate about what applications you are using to manage the various layers of your security. and it so so here's a good question then if there are if there's a piece of software that can manage multiple layers of security, do you use that one? Or do you say maybe I should diversify that way I've got like three different applications that handle three layers independently so that way I don't have one thing getting breached that could screw up a whole lot at once?
1: Yeah, I'm a big fan of having multiple layers, right? So I'm a big fan of having multiple layers that have multiple different types of vendors involved with each layer and you're now dealing with a slightly larger attack surface, but you now have the ability to respond. So for instance, let's say that you're using one particular vendor. I have one in mind that provides both a, you know, a firewall antivirus and some management tools for an environment. You may not want to use that entire stack because if you do and they happen an event, well, you might not be able to shut them down like you would if you were using a different type of firewall, a different type of endpoint management that were different vendors so that you don't have to worry about this. And, you know, I think, Steve, this is a good time to mention a mistake that I see pretty often out there. And here's what we're seeing happening. So folks have their backup solution. So maybe they're running a particular type of software that replicates an image off to a windows uh server destination locally and then maybe that gets transmitted up to the cloud once a week or once a day or something like this but they have that local image for quick restore process and what we're seeing is we're seeing msps put their rmm on the infrastructure as in the critical infrastructure that they're using to back up or that they're backing up So that would be the original data set. And they're also putting that same software over on the server that is responsible for the backup endpoint. And that means that if somebody does get into or breaches the RMM, they're able to hit both of those. So I want you to think about that when you're putting together that list of software, maybe make another slot, another area on your piece of paper that you're jotting this down just for your backups, because I want to make sure that your backups are completely on what I'd call a red network. And what that means is that they don't share any of the management. They don't share any passwords. They don't share any tools that you're using to support your normal client infrastructure. So basically red network over here doesn't have any share or overlap and our normal infrastructure that we're supporting over here that does have our RMM and those same tools inside of it. And obviously that Windows server, or if it's a NAS or whatever, it's not getting authentication information from the Active Directory or anything like that.
0: Well, I never would have even thought of that, if I'm being completely honest. A red layer. So how many different networks do you recommend? Okay, so... Just a red and a
1: blue, or...? Yeah. So I would recommend, so if you're, a, if you're a CSP, like let's say you're a cloud service provider and you have a infrastructure that maybe you're hosting a client in Azure or something like this, or maybe you have your own infrastructure that you're hosting inside of, I would recommend three different networks, right? I'd recommend your normal original data set. I'd recommend your backup layer. This is the one that is running just for your backups. Of course, you have MFA set up, but you have different accounts set up. You don't have any passwords shared. You don't use the same uh, encryption keys for any of your clients, like all that stuff over here on the backup side. And then you also would have an infrastructure layer, and that's going to be things like your hypervisor. And the reason that you want that separate is because that's usually capable of running commands on the original data set. So just think about it. If I get into your hyper V or I get into your VMware, it's very easy for me to run a command on the guest operating system. So that would be the other layer. If I were just putting together like quick, like full-on, completely segmented layers that have their own authentication sources, that have their own user accounts and passwords that are completely broken out. So I would break those out into different, pieces. Now, if we're talking about a normal network, what kind of layers would I do there? I think I would today I would lean towards more of a micro segmentation or like a a sassy solution where every one of my devices has its own uh firewall that's broken apart of everything else. In fact, that's how we run things at our office. We don't trust or worry about the perimeter firewalls as much. We just focus in on those individual devices.
0: Okay. That is excellent, excellent advice, everybody. Uh, so please, when you're done watching this, go just completely gut all of your hosts. Just redo everything. Just, it's yeah, fine. just redo it all. Everything will be fine. What could possibly go wrong?
1: Right. Right. Let's, let's go back though for a minute to the RMM stuff. Cause, you know, we talked a little bit about creating that list and we talked about creating separate networks for some of this stuff. When we've talked about authentication and getting that together. But there's a couple of things that I think are really important. And the first one is <clears throat> how many of you like listening today, how many of you have a domain administrator account that you log into for your daily activity? Probably not many, probably very few of you use a domain admin for like your daily work or for that matter, a licensed M365 login account. Like you you wouldn't use that for your global admin as well as, you know, your daily driver account, right? Like that's pretty popular. That's pretty, I mean, that's not a novel concept, but here's what I'm seeing on the flip side. I am seeing people log in their RMM having full God rights. Like you can do everything on the RMM, And this is happening with business owners, it's happening with help desk users, it's happening across the board. And so what I would recommend is take a minute and redo your authentication and make sure that when you're logging into the RMM, you're not doing it with your full, complete 100% credentials. And, And by the way, as a business owner, as a CEO, especially the CEO of an MSP, you're Chances of being fished are just a little higher than everybody else's because we all have targets on our backs now. But the other piece that I want to mention is create some groups, right? And what I'd recommend, super simple. Uh, you could create three or four groups. The first group would be your super users, your gods, all the people that have access to everything. Keep this very limited, like maybe two or three people and they have a separate account for it. The next layer you have is your developers and these are DevOps people. These are people that are capable of creating new scripts, right? So let's say that you're running an MSP and you have somebody that's responsible for creating the script that pushes out feature updates. For instance, that would be a DevOps person. And they're really the only people that need to be able to create brand new scripts or edit scripts, and they should only be able to run scripts on the test lab so they're not able to even run scripts in production why because they're devops they shouldn't be fixing stuff for people they should be focused on creating these different tools for your team to be able to go do that stuff now if you don't have that quite the division of labor maybe you're not quite that large of an msp and your devops person also supports people make a separate account for that and make sure that they're not logging in with their devops account all the time because they're not doing DevOps all the time, if that's the case. And then finally, you have your support users. And this person can run published scripts. So they can run a script if it's published by your DevOps person, which means it's been tested in your lab and all that stuff. But they can't, they can't write new scripts. And so this makes it so that if any of your support users gets compromised, it's really hard for the attacker to write a script and then just blow it out to everybody in the environment, like we saw in this Caseta event. And so, this would be a really good step that you can take. And obviously, there's a fourth group just for co managed situations, like a tech advisor, tech person on the site that doesn't have access to any of this stuff. So, just that would be four very simple groups that you could create.
0: All right. But if, you know, let's talk about the MSP that's, you know, four or five users, right? Maybe fewer. Yeah. Talk about
1: the MSP. So, we like, We've been doing an analysis of the folks that we've audited, and about 80% of the MSPs out there have one or two users. So let's talk about them because I think.
0: So, so you're telling me I need if if I'm going to do all of this the right way, I need four different usernames and passwords just for me to be able to do the DevOps the, the site the remote yep. tech support and administer. And I need to remember to log in and out of each of them for when I'm about to do some things. I, I shouldn't just log in as admin all the time.
1: Right. So here's what I would do in your case, or, you know, the case of somebody that has one, one person responsible wearing all the hats, right? I would recommend simplifying this down to three different account types that fourth account type is really just for the tech person that you know if you have a co-managed situation where you have somebody that that is responsible oh, at site okay. for that so that fourth one you can forget about it unless you have that co-managed situation where you have an IT person that needs access to just one particular client and you have your super user account your god mode account you're going to put that like in your shoebox somewhere and that's going to be break glass in case something goes wrong down the road okay so you're never going to use that You're going to use your DevOps one on Saturday and Sunday mornings because that's like when I was when I was a one man band. That's when I was doing most of my DevOps work, right? And that's when I was writing code and getting stuff to work. Because, guys, I know that it's not nine to five Monday through Thursday and off on Friday when you're running your own gig. So, so you're going to use that on Saturday and Sunday mornings or late night whenever you're working on Dev stuff. And yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have a small Azure lab or some sort of lab. I used to run mine on just a VM where server that has a couple of different machines on it that you can test your scripts on. When the scripts are ready, you're going to publish them. And then you're going to be using that support account for day-to-day activity. So you're really going to use two. You're going to switch back and forth between the developer or the DevOps account and the support account. And that's going to be your life. And I wouldn't recommend using that support account. I'm sorry, that developer account on a daily basis. I would just use it only when you need to.
0: Okay, so when my, when my RMM gets hacked, cause it's when not if these days, wa- walk me through like, how exactly is that even happening? And in the event of the Kaseya breach, who, like, what user account did they have access to? Because they got onto everybody's.
1: Yeah. So let's walk through the Kaseya situation a little bit more. So the Kaseya situation wasn't a user based attack vector. Um, the way that I'm talking about right now, like the steps I'm talking about are just to avoid like the issue I was talking about from earlier today, where somebody, um, had an attacker on their RMM and they got in through a account. Okay. So that's most popular. That's what, that's what's happening out there most of the time that that you guys are, are dealing with today. Now the Kaseya breach is a, is a bigger, um, bigger item. And basically what we have here is we have a situation where there's some vulnerability in the actual RMM itself. And what I would suggest doing if, you know, if you're looking to avoid that, which we all are is first off, I would make sure that if you're hosting the RMM locally, that you set up a firewall, that you have a smart firewall in place. And I know that's kind of a silly term, but I'm looking for something that has IPS and IDS and maybe a WAF as part of your firewall implementation to make sure that if an attacker does have something going on, like we saw with Kaseya, they're not getting into that device. And I'd also like you to make sure that you're only opening the ports that are required by the RMM producer. You don't just have everything opened up and port forwarded over. You have just the ports they need open.
0: So I just want to clarify, I'm in Ohio and I want to make sure that only my clients who have static IP addresses, those are whitelisted, like my office or my home are whitelisted and then figure out a way to whitelist my clients that have a dynamic IP Or just make everyone get static. And then the attackers would not have been able to connect to my Kaseya, even though the software itself was an issue.
1: Yeah, so that's how we used to do it on RMM, like running my MSP, is we did just what you described. Now, there is a challenge, which are remote users that are moving around out there. And you can do some stuff for that. Like you can do a reverse proxy to allow you to just allow those folks in and make sure that their traffic is segmented off and they can't access your configuration interface but also if you just focus in on making sure that just the ports are open i wouldn't even worry about the access control list right now for all of those different people that are out there i would i would consider like just putting together something to cover that particular piece, as well as making sure, you know, you don't have, I mean, how often do you have folks traveling to China or these different countries? So I, you know, you could also have a geographic segmentation. And obviously I mentioned earlier, like a sassy, there's a product that's pretty channel friendly called total T O D Y L that, you know, if you had everybody on your T clients, that is all of your clients using total, then they could, you could Basically make it so only people using that product can get onto your
0: RMM. So another way to just kind of create an extra layer to that. And now did you bring that up because I tossed it into the private chat? I sure did, bro. Okay. Okay. Cause, cause I I only tossed it in there just in case you weren't familiar with it. Cause I was going to ask you if we were to say, all right, all of our MSP employees need to use total when they're out of the office or else they just don't get to access anything you would be okay with that.
1: Yeah, that's exactly how we do it here. So we use Total. And if you're not using Total, you don't have access to our stuff. Like it's pretty straightforward.
0: I like that. I like that a lot. All right. What I I have one other thing I want us to, to talk about. So last week... I had, it was, it was two hours and 40 some odd minutes long. I had a conversation. I had six panelists come in and we had a long conversation about cybersecurity. And one of the really cool things that was brought up was the domains of cybersecurity. And when you look at this, it gets really overwhelming really fast, right? So this is, for those of you that that are just listening. I pulled up the map of cybersecurity domains made by Henry, I always mess up Asian last names, I'll call it Zhang, March 2021, revision 3.1. So with this, it's impossible for an MSP to cover all of this for its clients, right?
1: Yeah, so when you start looking at something like this, and you start considering having to support all of these different components, it gets, yeah, it gets a little out of control, but we do have some things in place to simplify this. So if you're looking at this, like, I mean, for the people that aren't seeing your screen right now, it looks, I mean, it looks like somebody took a colored pencil and just scribbled all over basically, Um, It really does, man. It's it's
0: intense. I haven't
1: seen this map before, but the nice thing is that all of these different domains map back to controls that you can pick out using like a NIST 800, 171 standard or the CMMC standards as they get more and more developed. um, Those allow you to now take a look at these different domains in a perspective that's now actionable. And so that's really the path to success. If you're looking to kind of combat this on your own and kind of get out there and start moving through and figuring out what you should have in play and what kind of controls you should have in place from a cybersecurity standpoint. So it's kind of leaning back to those standards and the standards give you that framework that's been proven over time so that you're not kind of reinventing the wheel in order to deal with the scribbly crayon mess that you just put up on the screen.
0: (laughs) All right, that's fair. Is there anything else that you think MSPs should be doing, like as, you know, a bare minimum alongside all of those other things you brought up? Well,
1: guys, I'm not like... I have a, I have a whole checklist that I put together. Actually I'll, Steve, I'll get you a list and the actual link to that here. Thank you. Throw it over in the chat. We have a whole checklist on hardening your RMM. We'll get that out to everybody. But the thing is that this is just dealing with your tools. And if we think back to that whole puzzle that we just were going through and, you know, Steve just put on the screen of all of these different components and how to keep up with everything. But more importantly, and to
0: clarify, just so you know, that's a skill set map, not a controls map.
1: Okay. I just, I could only see it a little bit. So, but that, that's a lot of different stuff to one, keep up with, but two, and I think this is the, the hardest part to educate your clients on because when it comes down to it, security isn't about controls. It isn't about telling somebody they have to do something. It isn't about forcing MFA down a user's throat because you said that they need to do It's about culture. It's about changing the way and the mindset that user has when it comes to decisions that they're making on a daily basis. And we can divide it up into any number of different segments and we can focus in on different policies. But until we impact that culture until we modify the way people think about this stuff we're all going to be struggling because ultimately you can have the best RMM in the world with the greatest fortress around it and you could be sitting in Ohio and not have to worry about anybody getting in to your RMM but your user could be rolling out the red carpet to an attacker having themselves a business email compromise on their hands and now you're running the fire drill and guess who they're pissed at? You, right? Or you can turn on your MFA. You could go to them and just say, look, I'm turning on MFA to all of my clients. You better use it. If you don't use it, now I'm gonna kick you out of my client base you're not gonna be my client anymore. Because everybody has to use MFA. And then the minute they have a problem logging in, who are they gonna be mad at? It's not Microsoft, it's gonna be you because you told them they had to do it. If on the other hand, you take them through this journey, if you help them understand and lead them from where they're at today, and most clients today are kind of at this basic needs spot right now where people are there. They believe that it's their MSP or somebody else's job to make sure that they're secure. They believe that everything that's happening in the environment will not happen to them. And they believe that ultimately if there's a problem, it's going to be somebody else that's going to dig them out to a spot where what I would call security conscious. And when somebody's security conscious, they understand that security is a collaborative journey and that there's a responsibility on the user side, as well as the organization side, as well as the business side, and of course, the technical side to make sure that security is in place. And so, That's a big challenge I think is, I mean, the RMM checklists and, you know, looking at a NIST 800-171 control set, or looking at this list of different capabilities that an individual must have. Ultimately, none of that matters if we can't get users to share the security mindset, the security
0: culture. Thank you for that, Bruce. Now why would an MSP want to reach out to you and start working with you?
1: Yeah. So, if well, first off, if you're listening today and you haven't bought my book, it's called Level Up. It's available on Amazon. It actually goes through, there's the RMM checklist that we are getting out there that is from the book. And it goes through and talks about some of the tactics and steps that you can take and it goes, I mean, it's how to like, it gets down in the weeds and walks you through how to actually secure your MSP because ultimately as an MSP, you can do a lot of this stuff. Like you can get this stuff done. The challenge is having a roadmap, having the time, and understanding that getting security to go in place, it's about changing a culture or a mindset. And MSPs come to us when they want to have tools to be able to do penetration tests to show their clients or prospects what an attacker will get to if somebody on their team clicked the malicious link, for instance. And they also come to us to help with the accountability around hardening their msps and we do a for instance we do a monthly accountability group for our partners where we go through and we say hey how are we doing on this have you check taking a look at this and just kind of push i guess we become that what would you call it probably you know that that nagging mother-in-law of security. I think that's what we become a little bit, but it's kind of necessary sometimes to have somebody look over your shoulder and say, hey, has this happened? Or, wow, we just looked at your firewall and this is open and it wasn't before. Should it be? Let's talk about it. So that's why people turn to us,
0: Steve. And I mean, I, I think everyone's definition of affordable may be different, but would you say that you guys are affordable
1: of course I'd say we're affordable, Steve. Yeah, so our lowest end packages are around five hundred dollars a month. So I mean, just as as you guys are planning for numbers and stuff like this, that's kind of what you're looking at. We base it on the size of the MSP, so it goes up from there. And you know, I would say it's pretty affordable. I mean, if you want to if you want to improve your cyber, if you want to level it up, this is how to do it. For the same time, I'd mention that a lot of folks right now are looking at outsourcing, like you're looking at outsourcing your security response or you're out looking at outsourcing your CISO services or something like that. And I would just give you a word of caution that if you don't start learning now, when will you start? And also just the flip side of that is Security is where the money's going to be at going forward, like in 2020 and beyond. Like security is where you're going to be increasing your spend and your clients are going to be increasing their spends. And so if you're not doing that and you're basically giving away that, that revenue stream or just kind of taking a small chunk of it you're basically, I mean, you're giving up the mineral rights to your land, right guys? You you have all of this investment that you've made and building your reputation and all this stuff. And now you're basically just able to farm the surface. You're not able to get to all the oil and the real goodies when it comes to the value of what you've built up as an MSP.
0: All right. Well, I feel like this has been incredibly value bruce truly thank you i've learned some great tips i hope you guys have all learned some great shit some great tips check out galactic advisors with an o right
1: yes i had to think through that i had to kind of go through that
0: it's crazy that there's like two different ways to spell almost everything right so galacticadvisors.com and uh, you can even go to, uh, what is it? Galacticadvisors.com slash RMM. Yeah. You know what, Steve? What I'd recommend, guys,
1: if you're on the call, this is a little easier. Go to Galactic Scan, www.galacticscan. Right. And that's uh, galactic like it sounds. And then scan with an A. It's going to be like
0: that today, huh?
1: Slash RMM-checklist. So so head in that direction. I think you'll that'll help you out. And that goes through all of the pen testing stuff we do and just the different types of things that we can do for you.
0: And uh, I've been to the site. It is secure with an SSL certificate. Everything's everything's good there. So he's, he actually knows something. So that's good guys. Thank you, Bruce. Do you, anything else that you want people to know before we sign off?
1: Oh gosh, Steve, I can't think of anything. Any other stump the chump questions for me, sir?
0: <sighs> what RMM should we be using?
1: Ooh, that is a good question. All right. I So one of the things that you'll find about my program is we are completely vendor agnostic. But let me talk about some of the things you should look for in an RMM. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that I want to make sure that you guys are hunting for is that you're hunting for an RMM that doesn't have a lot of tech debt. And what I mean by tech debt is you don't want an RMM that has a code base that's 10 years old. Why? Because there's all this compatibility stuff that they have to bring along and the programmers that wrote that are long since gone. And so what you're looking for is somebody that doesn't have a tremendous amount of tech debt. At the same time, when you work with an RMM, you're looking for something that doesn't have a whole bunch of connections to a bunch of random containers all over the place. So for instance, I know a couple of RMMs out there right now That when you load them on a device, you'll notice that they connect to a whole bunch of different services on different platforms all over the place. And those are going to be hard to shut down in in an event of an emergency. So those are kind of the two things that I want to make sure that you're looking at. One is how much tech debt does this particular vendor have? And two is, all right, when I load it up, how hard is it going to be for me to shut it down at the perimeter And if it's going to be really hard because there's like 15 different connections going out to random different spots, then I think that's something you should think
0: about. I love it. All right, everyone. Like I said earlier, check out galacticadvisors.com or galacticscan.com and check out the URL below for the RMM checklist that Bruce has put together. And uh, thanks so much, Bruce. All right. Thanks, Steve. Absolutely. My pleasure. All right, guys, I will see you at the next one. Take care, everybody.